Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great backhand! In this special episode, Tom and I continue to shoot the breeze through the rest of the magazine that we previously discussed with Tom Watt on the show. The Shoot magazine is from the 11th of March, 1989. Okay, so we're on to pages four and five, and this is I'm No Flop, says Ian Andrews of Celtic. So Celtic reserve keeper Ian Andrews is determined to bounce back from a traumatic spell which might have destroyed the confidence of lesser players. Ian looks back on his difficult start with Celtic. Some of the problems he endured are mentioned. He made his league debut with just a handful of pre-season training sessions behind him. He spent four days in hospital with food poisoning after that game. He played six weeks with a groin injury after strenuous efforts to reach match fitness. He then suffered the disappointment of a 5-1 hammering in his first Glasgow derby. And he was replaced, you know, if, if to top it all off, he was replaced by veteran Alan Ruff after just nine first-team games. I am, of course, jesting about that. Well, he did get replaced, but um, you know what I mean. <laughs> Andrews is not looking for sympathy, and he's confident that he'll make the most of his chance when it comes again. After spending four, the four days in hospital, he was back playing just two days later and lost 1-0 to Dundee United. On the Old Firm game, Andrews says, I was at fault for one of the goals, but it was generally a bad team performance. That game has to go down as the biggest disappointment of my career. Now, he's working hard to prove himself in the Celtic reserves and understands the need to be patient. But having played in the Leicester City first team for a long time, he doesn't want to be playing reserve team football for too long. The article shows Ian in action with his arms raised for Celtic. He's wearing a yellow goalie strip with padded shoulders. It's also padded under the arms. The padding areas are green. The sponsor is C.R. Smith and it looks like the Celtic centenary badge that's on the shirt, which is Umbro. Underneath is a photo of Paddy Boner in action against Hearts wearing the same shirt. And the other photo shows action from the 5-1 defeat to Rangers. So this photo shows Ian sprawled out in the ground inside the goal, with Kevin Drinko in close vicinity with his arms raised in the air. The ball had been crossed into the box and headed up in the air by McCoy, I think it was, towards the goal. And under very little pressure from Drinko, Andrews somehow managed to fumble the ball into his own net. This goal was probably the single moment in his Celtic career that caused him so much trouble. I would say that the other goals in that day, I, I wouldn't consider those other goals his fault. This one was definitely his fault, um, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, the great strikes in some of the other the, the other goals, but I think he's right to say that it was just a overall bad performance. What do you think? Yeah, that's just unfortunate. That's nobody's remembered. You see, Ian Andrews, the Celtic fans, mm. mentioned that game. Very few, I imagine, would say 
wasn't his fault, it was a bad team performance. Yeah. Just unfortunately what he gets remembered for here. I mean, a few keepers had to go at this place in Pat Bonner for a while, but mm. no one really did it until Bonner was ready to, ready to move yeah. on. I, I, I get the I get the sense that a lot of Celtic fans never really rated Bonner either. Um, I'm, I'm seeing that now. I've seen that on, on Twitter a fair bit, that people suggest he was poor on crosses yeah. and and, th- and things like that, but yeah, he was more or less undisputed in all his time. Mm. So yeah, we we did speak about Ian Andrews before, and I think um, he made a good start to his career in a a one nil win for for Hearts, where he actually had a good review for his, for his performance. But that would be his last ever clean sheet for Celtic, and the game after that game he wasn't as impressive, and it came to a head with the five one game that we're talking about. He also had a general nightmare um, on the Honvig game, I think it was, in Europe. After that, he was dropped, and that's, I think, when uh, Alan Ruff came in. He conceded 15 goals in eight first-team appearances, which, you know, that that's not a, a good record for a Celtic goalkeeper. After Bona was fit again, Andrews moved to Leeds and Lone in early December that year before a permanent move to Southampton in the February. Moving on to the next article on the on this double page is Hibbs bid shocked me, admits Andy Gorham. So this is Andy Gorham at Hibbs. Um, while Ian Andrews has been finding life tough north of the border, former Oldham goalkeeper Andy Gorham has been nothing less than a Scottish sensation. He's conceded just 25 goals in 33 league games and has become a regular in Scotland's World Cup squads. Now, Gorham talks about his time at Oldham just before moving north, and he says, Missing out in promotion with Oldham in the playoffs at the end of 86-87 season devastated me, and it showed in my form at the start of the following term. In my last nine games for them, I had a stinking time, and I couldn't believe another club would want to buy me at that stage. Andy Roxburgh had told Gorham that moving to Scotland would improve his international chances. That's changed days with that, eh? Usually you have to go to England in order to do that. Now Gorham's dad, Lewis, had also played as a goalie for Hibs and was born just across the road from Easter Road. Gorham had previously been picked for England under 21 squad but had never played. And while he was close to committing his allegiance to England, he's glad now that he didn't. I'm glad I didn't get that cap because it meant I was still eligible to play for Scotland. I'm really enjoying myself in Scotland and I can't really see myself ever going back to England. Now, there's an accompanying photo with the article which shows Andy in action for Hibs. He's in midpoint of kicking out a ball and he's wearing a yellow shirt. Now, this is padding on the elbows. The shirt is an Adidas shirt and has a white collar and cuffs with Adidas stripes in black. Uh, he's also wearing the outfield shorts and socks, which are white shorts with green Adidas stripes and green socks with white stripes around the top. And he's wearing what look like I'm going to. I've got. I think I'll get this right this time because I normally get this wrong. Patrick boots, and a and a pair of Ool Sport goalie gloves. Um, he's looking quite the the svelte figure as well. He's looking quite slim there. Yeah, and he's he's got a wee bit of the highlights in his hair. So we're on to pages twelve and thirteen, and this is shoots roll of honour for February. So this is a new feature in the magazine and looks at the player, team and goal of the month. So for the player of the month, Division 1 has Mark Hughes and Brian McClare of Man United take the top two places, followed by Chris Waddle of Spurs. 
Division 2, we have Gordon Jury of Chelsea as top, with Hull's Keith Edwards in second spot. Another Chelsea player, Kerry Dixon, is in third place. Division 3, we have Steve Bull of Wills at top, followed by Gary Blissett of Brentford and Paul Marden of Bristol City. Division 4 has Paul Stant of Hereford, Ian Muir of Tranmere and Tony Dawes of Scunthorpe. Now, up in Scotland, Charlie Nicholas of Aberdeen is tops, followed by Mark Walters and Richard Goff of Rangers. And the team of the month, Division 1 is Nottingham Forest, Division 2 is Chelsea, Division 3 is Wolves and Division 4 is Crewe. Okay, the, there's a goal of the month as well. So, first place is Kevin Sheedy for Everton versus Southampton. Uh, Brian Marwood for Arsenal versus Millwall. And Brian Robson for England versus Greece. And that's the top three goals. Uh, Smart Everton away strip. Kevin Sheedy's pictured in there. Yeah. Uh, all yellow. Yeah, with the NEC. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Um, the, there are a number of photographs shown over the two pages, including one with Mark Hughes and Brian McClare in the same shot. Hughes has outlet Everton's Neville Southall to meet the ball with McClare looking on. What I would say about that is look at all the empty seats. In yeah, it's a good, good, good shout. That is that um, Old Trafford. Yeah. Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, we've also got a photograph of Gordon Jury with the uh, Chelsea strip. It's the Commodore sponsor. And it's a sort of crisscross pinstripe um, pattern on it as well. Not my favourite of Chelsea strips, if, um, I'd have to say. There's Steve Bull of Wolves is there and Charlie Nicholas amongst the, the remaining ones. And there's a black and white, love that, a black and white photo of Phil Stant. Can't even get a colour one for that. Okay, moving on to page 16. And we're going to have a look at a cartoon, Tom. I'm going to have a look at a cartoon. So this cartoon is of two policemen outside the turnstiles at Main Road. The fans are lining up, each with a blow-up animal under their arms. And then in the background there's a fan arriving with a blow-up elephant. A life-size blow-up elephant. So one cop says to the other, I told you we'd have to put bigger turnstiles in. So that's a joke. It's actually... It's more in preparation of the articles that are about to come up. So this actually refers to a craze that swept the Man City fans start, starting in 1987. And it was a, fa a fan called Frank Newton who started this craze when he brought uh, one of these blow-up toys, it was a banana, to a game at the start of the season. It became popular amongst the crowd and slowly start, more started appearing. In the 88-89 season, this blew up, excuse the pun, and other types of inflatables started appearing on the terraces. Uh, the bottom of the cartoon states, Now turn to pages 19 to 22 for a colour special on City's Bannon Army. This is a two-page spread with photographs of this craze, and we'll look at that very shortly. So on the same page, we're going to look at Shoot's news call. So for all the latest soccer news, interviews and results, club call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Calls charged at 38 pence per minute, peak and 25 pence per minute after 6pm. So most this is uh, an advert and it's got, most teams are covered. And there's also a separate line for non-league, GM Vauxhall and Northern Premier Football. When I say most teams are covered, I mean English teams. It's actually surprising that the Scottish ones in there are Celtic, Dundee are in there, Hearts, Hibs, who else is in there, Rangers... 
there's no Aberdeen. Um, that's it. So you didn't. You maybe have expected a, a few more Dundee United to have been in there, but no. I know this is a few of the uh, leagues have got their own non-league. So if you're a fan of a non-league club, you just phone in that one yeah. hotline. Visa Homes League, GM Vauxhall Conference League, and Northern Premier League mm. have their own line. Yeah. Presumably, you need to sit and listen to news about all other clubs until they get until they get to your yeah. club. I'm, I'm sure you're going to have to do similar at your club's one anyway to get to the news item that that you probably want to hear about. Here's a recap of the last six weeks worth of news, and then they'll get to it. But yeah, what what I found a bit strange about that. So at the bottom, so they've got a list of all the teams and the the extra number that you dial to get that team. And at the bottom, in large font and bold, it says England Club Call on, and it gives the full number. And then it's got non-league club call, you know, higher font again, bigger font again, in bold. But it, I don't know why they've put that in bold there and then it's in the full list as well it's maybe they're just highlighting the fact that they are doing these uh non-league you know as you say the bees are homes gm Vauxhall conference northern premier so maybe that's why that is just why do you think it's uh celtic rangers and dundee um yeah i mean the, the hips and hearts it's fair enough but dundee without any other team i don't know i don't know Dundee, or do you think that was Dundee United and they just kind of... I mean, it's it's, it's it's possible that just other t- teams didn't have the capabilities for this at this point. Maybe they just didn't do the setup. I mean, it, I, I wonder what... In fact, when we were speaking to Nick, Nick um, Barnes, he, he was talking about this, wasn't he? How when he, he was commentating, there would be somebody there, you know, on the phone. yeah. yeah. So I guess they need somebody at the grounds to be able to do this or some sort of setup in place to, to be able to do that. And maybe the other clubs just weren't that far advanced at this point. But then again, you've got Chester in there, you've got Darlington. You know, there's, there's a few teams in there that you wouldn't expect to have that sort of level of ability as well. I don't know, is, is, is the short answer. Okay, we'll look at the the next advert on this page. Is it's ch- an advert for Chelsea Football Club CFC Members Club. Join the CFC Members Club, where you receive a free Bridge News official monthly club newspaper, discounts on match tickets, special prices on club leisure wear, and the official team photo and autographs. You think that's more more towards younger people or? Yeah, I would, I would think so. Mm. Yeah. As always, send a large SAE to Chelsea Football Club. A self-addressed envelope for those out there who don't know what an SAE is. So next thing we're going to have a look at is page 17. So we... Do you know, ever since Daniel Gray mentioned that, I keep thinking about the so. And I know you said that at the... Um, during the show, say, I think I've done a few and I'm thinking, I know for a fact I say so all the time and it's like I don't think I can stop that one I can I can try and stop saying um, um, but I don't think I can stop saying so are we alright with that? yeah, so <laughs> ok, so we're on page 17 and this is, we'll win over the knockers and we'll win the league too, says Mike Phelan of Norwich City 
and Norwich City's emergence as genuine championship contenders may have taken many people by surprise, but skipper Mike Phelan isn't one of them. And he says, I've had a feeling since I came here in 1985 that one day we'd be up there challenging for the big one. In my first season, we won the second division and then set about establishing ourselves in the first. This season, we've been in the top three right from the start. And Mike has also recently been called up to the England squad. And he joined Norwich from Burnley, where he was born and raised. He says about Norwich, it's very different here to an area like Lancashire. There isn't the same overall passion for football, but our supporters are still very committed in their own way. It's it's not great praise, that line, is it? So at this point, Mike still hasn't signed a new contract with Norwich, but he says, Don't read anything into my delay in signing. It's an important time for me to be thinking about my future, and the boss and I haven't decided anything concrete but there is no hurry. So just as a wee spoiler, Norwich would finish in fourth position on 62 points, 14 behind Arsenal this season. And on his future with Norwich, he would sign on at Man United in July this year for £750,000. He would only get one England cap, which was a game against Italy in 1989, and he would return to Carroll Road in 1995 as assistant to Gary Megson. He later returned to City in 2014 as first-team coach before taking over temporarily in 2015. And there's a photograph of him in action for Norwich. And I have to say, if I didn't say this is Mike Phelan, I wouldn't have known that was Mike Phelan from the, the photograph, simply because he's got hair. And, you know, it's a healthy-ish level of hair as well. About Mike Phelan, I'd, I'd say my, my favourite thing about Mike Phelan is that little video, have you seen it, with Alex Ferguson, where he bursts a balloon? Have you not seen it? You, you need to have a look at that. So, so they're sitting, they're sitting in the the dugout, and Alex Ferguson's concentrating on the game. And this balloon rolls past, and Mike Phelan picks it, picks the balloon up, puts it down on his foot, and busts it. And Alex Ferguson absolutely, he nearly jumped out his skin, but he starts telling Mike Phelan off, and they're all laughing like hell for it. It's actually you really got to watch it. Have a wee look at that. So we're on to page 18, and this is Roy Daly. Um, I think Roy Daly, not Daly. Roy Daly, we'll say. Roy Daly goes worldwide. So the first one we're going to look at, this is looking at news across the globe. And the first one is Carry On, Gary. So Gary Lineker seems set to stay at Barcelona for another season, but only because manager Johan Cruyff will have to wait that long before finally landing European Footballer of the Year, Marco van Basten. Cruyff offered AC Milan £7 million, but they don't want to sell, with Milan president Silvio Berlusconi threatening to bring charges against Barcelona for continually approaching a player under contract. Van Basten hasn't extended his contract with AC Milan at this point. Boiler on that is Van Basten would sign a new deal with Milan that would see him stay there until 1995, although his last game was in the 1993 European Cup final and he wouldn't play again after this, even though he was still signed. Obviously, that was because of injury. Same page, the next article is Monaco offered Diego £1 million a year. So the story is that Monaco want to team Glenn Hoddle with Diego Maradona next season. You can see this is definitely coming from an English skewed perspective, isn't it? Saying that, yeah, they want to stick Mar Maradona in with, with Hoddle and see, see what happens. So they've offered Maradona £1.15 million a year, a deal which is fully supported by Prince Rainier in an attempt to lure him to the Principality. 
Club president Jean-Louis Campora says, With Maradona on our side, we would be champions of Europe. We have built a dream of a stadium, but only attract 10,000 on match day. With Maradona, we could pull in around 40,000. I think, is that not a general thing with, with French teams? Is that the crowds aren't that great, are they? Or they they haven't mm. been, I think, historically? Well, I don't, I don't think Monaco have got that big a catchment. Mm. I know when uh, Porto won the Champions League in 2004, all throughout the knockout rounds, Mourinho wanted to be drawn against Monaco. And one of the reasons was because he knew there was no atmosphere at the, at the home leg. He knew that there was no kind of partisan crowd that they would have to deal mm. with. But obviously they ended up playing them in the final. Mm. Makes sense, makes sense. But yeah, the, 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 there's very often in these uh, worldwide sections, there's always a bit about Maradona, <laughs> whether he's linked to be some club or he's getting a big pay deal or he's pissed somebody off, he's walked out. There's always something about, about Maradona, whether it was true mm. or not. Or speculation or what, but always in these pages, Maradona. We we spoke about Van Basten being offered thirty eight thousand pound a week, wasn't it? Which actually that that works out as more than one point one five million a year. Probably one point between one point five and one point seven or something million. You'd expect Maradona to be on more than that in the same sort of period. Okay, uh, the next one, the next one I'm going to look at. I really like this one. So the president of Spanish club Logron is also the top man of a leading wine-producing company. And his attempts to sign Mexican striker Grandad Cruz, for which his club are asking for £350,000, he's offered them £175,000 in cash and the rest in wine. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I like that. Grandad, Grandad Cruz. Grandad Cruz, yeah. I'd, I'd have bit I'd have their, their hand off for that. The next page, it's a double page, so this is about the Bannon Army that we spoke about earlier on there. So over two pages are a number of colour photographs of Man City fans with a blow-up bananas and other items. So the sort of things you can spot are, a, there's a blow-up cowboy, a Frankenstein with a city top on, uh, there's a crayon, a space shuttle, a dolphin, a cactus, a bottle of champagne, a motor car and a shark. I don't know if you can spot anything else in there, Tom, apart from loads and loads of bananas. I don't, I don't remem- remember this craze. No, no, do I? Um, I th- but I think it seems to be one of those ones that came in really big, and then, I mean, because it wasn't just Man City. It started off at Man City, but then other clubs started doing it, and there we go. I I, I think as, read, reading up about it, I think it started as these sort of things do as a result of alcohol. You know, maybe not being drunk, but being hung over from the from the effects of alcohol, and then going to the game. So I think that's sort of how. It... Well, there's a space shuttle there, a cactus, a champagne bottle, dolphins, yeah, a pencil. Yeah, it's quite, quite, quite the range yeah. of different of different stuff, the different inflatable stuff they've got mm. there. And the shark and the man sitting. Well, I've just seen there's a, a lilo there as well, isn't there? Just a blow up yeah. as well. You know, I, I, yeah. I think it would have been quite quite humorous to a degree. I think maybe this this game here with all them was if if that was the first time it was like that in that sort of level, then I think that would have been the apex. And it was like that. Okay, that's that's the summer. Let's leave it there. Enjoy it. With these sort of things, people always trying to 
It's the same with like flags and things like that. You know, people try to get bigger flags in the the next one. And I, I suppose the next step is the the beach balls, and we, we know yeah. what happens when a beach ball gets on the park. Goals get scored against Liverpool. That's what happens. Okay, so we're into the centre pages, and it's pages twenty and twenty one. So this is a centre page team photo of Man City. So the team photo is a two line photo. And the team part of it takes up about a third of the page. So the top part is the Man City text. The bottom part is a bunch of facts, the players' names, and some action shots of five of the players who are actually already in the team photo. So I, 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 I didn't like when team photos started doing this, that a lot of the space was taken up by other things rather than the team photo. I've seen in other ones as well where they, they make the team photo really wide when they could have just you know compressed it more rows and then you got closer because quite often you, you couldn't actually make out much of the detail with the people so for me that that's a no-no um strip itself is an umbro kit with a shiny light blue color there's a white v-neck crossover collar with white cuffs i think they're all short sleeves as well yeah uh there's also appears to be white piping down the joint of the sleeves in the body and the sponsor is brother shorts are white there does appear to be a band a bit of a band down the sides with two shades of blue on it as well. And the socks are dark blue with white or light blue diamonds around the top. Some of the photos below show the strip in action, but the shorts are light blue instead of white in those ones. Paul Lake is shown in the away kit, which is quite different. It's a striped shirt, it looks sort of burgundy and white. And the shorts and socks are also the same colour with a thick blue band and thinner white band down the side, side of the shorts. I don't remember that as a Man City away strip. But at home's an odd one for, for me, because for me, a Man City kit's all light blue or sky blue or mm. whatever, whatever flavour it is. So the, the sort of white and the dark socks don't really don't really make it for mm. me. Uh, see, I, I sort of think of um, white, white shorts. Maybe that's more of a recent thing. These things usually have some sort of historical context hmm. you know sticking odd colored socks on there's usually some kind of that was what they wore in 1895 hmm. or something like that manager mel machin is sat front and center with general manager jimmy frizzle on the far left of the photo and both are suited and booted on the far left is medical trainer roy bailey on the far right sorry is medical trainer roy bailey he is in the home kit as well but he's got a tracksuit top on this is a Top half light blue and bottom half dark blue with umbro and text up the front. Now, looking at Andy Dibble and the goalkeeper kit, it's obvious that the outfield white shorts also have a, the waistband in light blue, which I didn't notice at first. He's wearing the same outfield shorts as the... that waistband up pretty mm-hmm. high. Yeah, it does, but I, I, possibly, yeah, I was going to say possibly the style of it makes it look that, but it is up quite high. It's, it's certainly north of the belly button, isn't it? Yeah. But it's, once you see that and then you look at the other players, it's obvious that there is a, the top bit is that. Anything else you want to pick out about the... Well, we mentioned it's a, it's a team group photograph that's obviously been taken at the training grounds rather than in the mm. stadium, because it's like a big garden. Yeah. That they seem to be in, so presumably that was their training ground at the time. Mm. Yeah, who else is in there? Andy Hinscliffe, front row, got Wayne Biggins. Yep. 
Neil McNabb. McNabb. Not a lot of great names in that that Manchester City mm. team. Neil McNabb, I think, suffered a mini stroke a few years back. Uh, I think he is on the mend. He was out coaching in the States. I think it when it happened when he was actually coaching. But best wishes to Neil McNabb. Did, uh, so J- Jimmy Frizzle was from Greenock. And he played for Morton between 1957 and 1960 before moving to Oldham Athletic, where he played for 10 years. And he then managed them between 1970 and 82. And he took over at Man City for a year after Billy McNeil departed, but moved into the role of general manager in 1988. So, good Greenock man there. Okay, we shall move on to... Irwin at large. So this is pages 24 and 25, and this is a bunch of little short stories, and we'll, we'll take a look through them. So the first one to look at is Cheers for Chase. So cup giant killer Sutton United have paid tribute to Norwich chairman Robert Chase for his assistance in the recovery of the wife of their midfield man, Mickey Stevens. Jackie Stevens is still seriously ill after her car was involved in a head-on collision as she returned from Sutton's FA Cup fourth-round tie at Carroll Road. Chase has made a suite of hotel rooms permanently available for Jackie's visitors and arranged a rota of Norwich players to be in attendance to provide support. It's a very good thing that he did there. Just a a wee update on that. Sadly, Jackie was left permanently paralysed from the waist down. You know, not not a good ending to that. Um, But, you know, great effort there from Robert Chase as well. Uh, Next one to look at is City Pardon Cloth's Cop. So this is Bristol City are considering lifting the ban on a supporter that invaded the park against Nottingham Forest and was arrested, as they say, by Nigel Clough. Only if he apologises in writing. The Vice Chairman says that while they don't want to set a precedent, he didn't believe he meant them any ill harm and merely wanted to congratulate the player on his goal. That's not very good to approach that, is it? He says they don't want to set a precedent, but that's exactly what they're doing. Okay, so the next one we're going to look at is Gow Blow. So Shrewsbury have paid £25,000 for John McGinley from Highland League club Elgin City, but spare a thought for Weymouth manager Jerry Gow, who has made a round trip of 1,200 miles to sign the player, but arrived half an hour after the deal with Shrewsbury had been struck. You wouldn't get that nowadays because of obviously technology and stuff, but yeah, that's that's a bit of a blow for Jerry. Yeah, absolutely. You think he'd be just assigned any anybody from Elgin City just to make the journey? <laughs> yeah, that's actually no, that, that, that didn't come for him anyway. Yeah, you, you would you wouldn't waste your trip, would you? So John John McGinley would go on to play over two hundred games for Bolton Wanderers, scoring over a hundred goals. That's a great return. Next. Article here is Dodgy Dodds gets the vote. Paul Sturrock has presented a framed caricature to his mate David Dodds after the Aberdeen striker was voted ugliest player in British football by listeners of Simon Mayo's Breakfast Show on Radio 1. Last month, David wrote in a Scottish newspaper, Paul is still the ugliest footballer in Scotland. But Sturrock laughs and says, I'd been waiting for the chance to get Dodsy back and this opportunity was too good to miss. And should also supply a photo of Dave Dave Dodds there as if proof is needed. Yeah, not the caricature no. though. It was like the caricature yeah. was like, but yeah, dodgy Dodds gets the vote. Mm. Do you know it's, it's something I I never feel comfortable with? Is is jumping yeah. on the whole Dave Dodds? I can't. I'm not even going to say it. You know that that sort of thing. I I just don't feel comfortable with it. And I know, you know, fr- from anecdotal evidence of it, Davey 
sort of gets involved with the joke a wee bit and stuff himself as well. But yeah, it's not for me. It's not for me. You know, it's, there's there's other people we can be slagging off um, for for better reasons than just how they look. As we were speaking earlier on, Tom, I, I don't think Paul Sturrock is a is a bad looker. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pencil him in as one of football's ugliest no, men. Not far from it. Ian Dowie, maybe. Like I, I can't do that. I've just said that I'm. I'm not going to slag off David Dodds, and there's me throwing in Ian Dowie, un unrequested, just throwing out names. Sorry about that, Ian. Okay, so the next one is about Paul Dyson, the West Brom defender who's pictured as told manager Brian Talbot that he wants to leave as soon as possible after losing his place to Chris White. A spoiler, a spoiler is that he didn't have too long to wait as he moved to Darlington in July that year. I don't really recall that as a West Brom kit that he's, he's in there. It looks sort of uh, slightly, was it slightly unusual? Yeah, what what is the the bag? Well, well, the West Brom kit that I always sort of remember was the, the WBA and uh, yeah, yeah, the and and the sort of calligraphy type style font. That doesn't that seems to have a sort of? It's got WBA at the bottom in text, but it just looks like a yeah. And it's like a bird at the top. And and I don't recall that sponsor. Was it Apollo? Well, it looks like E O O O. We'll we'll, we'll check out. That's interesting. We'll check up on that. Yeah, but I I, I really don't recall that as a waste brown. It's a waste brown strip. Okay, next one is Chelsea Mayday? Question mark. So promotion chasers Chelsea are ready to go Scottish again, and the man they want is Hibernian's highly rated young defender Eddie May who's pictured beside the article. It's rumoured that a bid of £200,000 is already being prepared. Spoiler time, he would join Brentford in July that year for £167,000, which was a club record for Brentford at the time. So just a wee bit about Eddie May. He was born in Edinburgh, started off 85 to 89 with Hibs, and then he moved, as we say, to Brentford, where he spent just a year playing 47 league games. Then he came back up north, to join Falkirk between 90 and 94, where he would make 153 league games, scoring 22 goals. Then he had spells at Motherwell for the next five years, Dunfermline, and then sort of winding down his career with short spells at Airdrie, Western Knights, which I'm assuming is a Australian team maybe, and Berwick Rangers and back at Falkirk for a couple of, a couple of games. He did... Managed Falkirk for a year and was a caretaker at Hibs for a period in 2019 as well, so quite recently. Caretaker yeah, manager? Yeah. Was he just locking up after everybody else's <laughs> Well, to be fair, the, the, the information I've got has him down as caretaker twice in the same year, so maybe one of them is the Janny. Okay, so Germans want £1 million McInally. And it's Eintracht Frankfurt are ready to make a to make a, a transfer scramble for Aston Villa striker Alan McAnally by slapping in a one million pound bid. McAnally is the second top scorer in the first division at the moment and won his first Scottish cap recently against Cyprus. He was bought for two hundred twenty five thousand pounds from Celtic in eighty seven, and Frankfurt have had a recent bid of seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds turned down for Charlie Nicholas of Aberdeen. Uh, suggestions are that Man City or West Ham could move in ahead of the Germans. So, as as we probably know, McAnally would move to Germany, but not Frankfurt. He moved to Bayern Munich in the summer for nearly one and a half million and spent four years there. 
great move for him, eh? Great move for him. Ah, it wasn't. It was yeah. indeed. Yeah. I think. I think he started. I think he he started off on fire and he helped them win the the league that first season. Um, but I don't think he played a huge amount of games after that. Next article is Langen blasts Dirty Jack. So former Republic of Ireland international David Langen has accused Jack Charlton of wrecking his career when he admitted him from the 1988 European Championship squad. He played in four of Era's eight qualifying games and he storms. Jack Charlton did the dirty in me when he named his squad for the finals. For him, it may have been just another team selection, but for me, it was the biggest blow in a lifetime in the game. Effectively, it ended my career. For Although I signed for Peterborough shortly afterwards, it was never going to be the same. It's a really one that just smacks of sour grapes, that. It's, it's a strange um, view to take, that, you know, that your career's getting ruined because the international manager hasn't picked you. So, the... Just tones of something a bit deeper going on there. And the fact that he signed for Peterborough, who weren't in the, the top divisions at that point, is probably backing up um, Jacks. Yeah. I, I, I think he, David Langan is generally thought well of by Irish supporters as well. I think he was a, he was a tough player and he did make quite a few caps, but it was, you know, long before this period. So, yeah, I think David needs to get a bit of perspective. And I think the last one on this page we're going to look at is Wishart Scramble. As it says, stand by for a transfer scramble at Motherwell when fullback Fraser Wishart reaches the end of his contract in June. The 23-year-old who's pictured has attracted interest from, here's a list, Newcastle, Everton, QPR, Celtic, Hearts and Middlesbrough and is rated at £350,000 by Firth Park manager Tommy McLean who admits... It'll be a blow if Fraser does go, but if that is his decision, he will leave with our best wishes. Okay. So as a wee spoiler, his contract ran out in June of this year and he moved to St Mirren, where a transfer fee of £285,000 was set by a tribunal. His time there ended badly as well, as can be seen from the following story from Shoot in December 1991. It says, St Mirren's Fraser Wishart is so desperate to quit Love Street. He's written to every first and second division club in England, telling them he's up for grabs. He says, I've been messed around by St Mirren. I've been dropped twice this season, both times unfairly. A move to England would give me a fresh start. Instead of getting a move to England, he got his move to Falkirk instead. So he moved to Falkirk at this point as well. And other teams, after Falkirk was when he had a spell at Rangers for a couple of seasons. Moved to Hearts, Motherwell. Clyde Bank, uh, four seasons there, 111 league appearances. And finally, uh, Erdrionians as well. What's your memories of Fraser Wishart at, at Bankies? I don't know if I saw him that much in that era. I think Paul have got a bigger team than Clyde Bank, actually, at the time. But I, th- I think he served Clyde Bank quite well, the period that he was there. Yeah. It's a bit of a... I'm going to say it's a novel way of putting yourself out, but for all we know, that could be done a lot more regularly than we imagine but you know writing to teams to say I'm available yeah famously Bernie Slavin did mm. that didn't he yeah Albion Rovers but I guess I suppose that, that, that you, I mean nowadays you've got uh, agents so I guess the agents do do mm. similar but it, it, it sound as hard up <laughs> yeah yeah it's you know going to the post office <laughs> we 
1992 letters mm. to post to every, every league team mm. in England. Okay, so th- there is a wee section here on latest transfers, so I don't know if there's any of those you want to pick out, Tom. Well, when I spot Tom Cowan, Clyde to Rangers, Neil Ruddock, Millwall to Southampton, and then Doug Rugby, Shrewsbury to mm. film. Yeah, I think he, he was there with David Moyes. We did touch on that before. Um, we've got Lee Richardson in there as well. Halifax to Watford for 175000 Colin West, Sheffield Wednesday to West Brom. And Calton Palmer, West Brom to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, I wonder if that was done as part of the same deal. Mm. Well, it probably wouldn't have or else one wouldn't have had a, a fee, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Mm. Okay, we'll move on to page 26. This is adverts and it's shoot marked. And there's lots of programme adverts, a couple of ads for collecting stamps, and you can buy a book called Argyle Classics by Harley Law, and this is a collection of over 300 reports on the most memorable moments in Plymouth Argyle's history. Uh, I, I just find that um, quite quite startling that there's this whole ad in this page for Plymouth Argyle. It just seems a wee bit sort of, um, where, you know, where did that come from? But I guess if, if somebody's put the work in and, and there is a book there, then why not advertise it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's like one of those guys you talked about before who's got access to newspaper uh, archives and he's went and stuck it all together mm. in a book. Yeah, so it's superbly illustrated hardback, 350 pages at £15. Um, not cheap, but I'm guessing if you're a Plymouth Argyle supporter, that's going to be... We, we know that for a fact. You're going to lap that up aren't you if you get the chance the the other thing on the page is there's a chance to team up with TC which is a six day coaching school with Tony Cotty and it's it's at Ormskirk in Lancashire so a chance for that let's move on to Greaves's letters page on page 28 and we'll pick out a few of the ones from this first one is disrepute madness so Anthony Miller from Middlesbrough writes, The charge of bringing the game into disrepute can be interpreted in so many ways that it's becoming a farce. It's just an excuse for the authorities to crack down on any dissent. Greavesy mostly, most definitely agrees with Anthony here and suggests it's the FA that should be charged with bringing the game into disrepute because they've never run it properly in a hundred years. I have to agree with that. It, it just it seems a bit of a catch-all rule, doesn't it? Next one is one rule for all. So David Peel from Bucks writes, There have been suggestions that talented players deserve extra protection from refs, but surely the rules should apply equally to all players. So again here, Greavesy agrees, saying, For a start, we don't have any particularly talented players, and even if we did, they wouldn't deserve special treatment. Referees should never go out with preconceived ideas about certain players. Spot on. I mean, I can't believe twice I'm agreeing with, with Gravesy in the letters here. Next one, Stuart's escape goat. So this is Michael Leach from Lancashire who wins a star letter and a £10 prize with a letter criti- criticising Paul Stewart of Spurs. And he says, He's proved to be a total waste of money at Spurs. He simply isn't good enough for the first division and she would be replaced by someone who can score goals on a regular basis. And Greaves, he hits back at this one saying, obviously he's not worth $1.7 but he didn't set the transfer fee. I feel he's been a fall guy at Spurs, but he's battled more than anyone and doesn't disappear when the going gets tough. 
he'd be a better player and a better team. Yep, I'm okay with that one as well. This next one sort of yeah, this this sort of um, echoes with me. This this um, David Parker from Oldham writes: Has football gone bananas? The last time I went to a game, I could hardly see anything because everyone was waving inflatable fruit around. What's your view of it all? And Greavesy says, I love it. It's fun, it's harmless, and it's what football should be all about. I don't know about that. He says, the more bananas, the better, as far as I'm concerned. It's certainly better than waving bottles and bricks. The guy mentions nothing about the inflatable shark. <laughs> yeah. You can't argue about it. it's better than waving bottles and bricks. You can't yeah. argue about that. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's got its shelf life. Well, it's the kind of thing that you probably would get taken off you just now if you tried to go into an English Premier Ground with a big inflatable. You would probably take it off you. And Wally of the Week. So this is Graham McDonald from Cullen and Banshire gets Wally of the Week. Well done, the Scottish writers. And he writes, Arsenal boss George Graham may be a Scotsman, but he sends out a team of 11 Englishmen every week. Doesn't he know that no team can win anything without at least one jock in the side? Mm, yeah, I'm starting to I'm starting to growl here because mm, the jock word. Yeah. So Greavesy replies, George may be a jock, but he's been living down here in civilization long enough to have picked up some common sense, and he knows that when it comes to winning at football, an Englishman will always be a jocko. <sighs> you know how I feel about it, Tom. You know how I feel about it. Yeah, well, you get tarnished with that. In in my early years, I did. Um, yeah, and I just if if somebody if you know if if it's somebody I know well, then I'll just say like, don't, please don't. You know, come up with something a bit different. But if it's somebody I don't know and they say jock, then the conversation doesn't really get out of first gear. So, yeah, I, to be honest, I've not had I've not had it much in recent years, but. Um, Maybe that's because I just stay away from people. <laughs> yeah. So we're on to page 29, and this is a spotlight on Phil Parks of West Ham United. It's it's not quite a focus on, it's, it's more um, just general questions, but um, I'm just going to pick out a, f- a few things that are mentioned. So regarding car that he drives, is a Gren- Granada Scorpio and a 1971 E-Type Jag that's in mint, mint condition. So I'm just thinking of Arthur Daly at this point. I don't know if that is what that jag was. It's certainly a jag that he drove. It says, Were you ever nervous when you replaced much criticised Alan McKnight for the FA Cup fifth round tie against Charlton? And Phil says, I was slightly nervous but excited at the prospect of making only my second first team appearance for West Ham in two years. And Phil was 38 at this point. There's a bit of background here. West Ham had a dreadful season this year. In the league, they started badly, but they were going well in the League Cup, culminating in a semi-final two-legged tie with Luton Town. They lost the first leg 3-0 and the second 2-0 and generally were awful. Alan McKnight was singled out for conceding some bad goals and they would go on to be relegated this season. Phil was asked about the 3-0 defeat and admits it was the worst performance he'd seen from West Ham in his 10 years at the club. He's, a, he's asked the question, you always seem cheerful. Was it difficult retaining your sense of humour at times? Phil says, as long as the team were doing well, I didn't mind not playing. But this season, the situation did affect me. Now, he pays tribute to his wife, Lavinia, 
who helped him get through the tough times, saying that if it wasn't for her, he'd have probably quit the game a long time ago. Finally, Phil is asked about the lack of goalkeeping talent at the moment and whether he agrees. He says, I certainly do. It must be a worrying problem for England. Apart from Swindon's Fraser Digby, Arsenal's Alan Miller and Nigel Martin of Bristol Rovers, I haven't seen anything to rave about. Just as a wee spoiler on this, Fraser Digby were going to play 420 league games for Swindon between 86 and 98. Alan Miller would have a number of spells out in loan, but only playing nine games in the league for Arsenal. Middlesbrough and West Brom are where he played most of his football and he had a loan spell at St Johnston in 2001 and two, where he played 18 league games. So that was Alan Miller. Nigel Martin, as we know, is probably, you know, is by far the better. 23 games for England, uh, Nigel Martin. And obviously a long spell, Crystal Palace, a long spell at Leeds United and uh, two or three years at Everton as well. So it goes without saying that he was the better of those three keepers. I'm going to pick out the cartoon bit again, Tom. We're on page 31, Ray of the Rangers. The storyline here is that Ray believes he's been invited to a top award, but when he gets there, he's met by a Michael Aspel, I think it's Michael Aspel-looking character, who says, this is your life. And Michael introduces the first special guest who starts talking over the speakers in a Scottish accent. Och, Royce, you Sassanac wimp. Your tackle put me out in the 1979 Cup Final, remember? So Roy decides that he's in trouble and makes a dash for the exit, saying, Oh no, it's Mad Jock McKickham. He swore to get me for that. As he's running away, a big brute of a man appears with his sleeves rolled up and a sailor's anchor tattoo in his arm. And the strip finishes with a line of mad, hard-looking bastards waiting to give Ray some retribution. I think... um, Words with Steve McGarry on this one, I think. Yeah. So, what was his name? Mad Jock McKickham. Yeah. Oh, it was to- Tony Husband who did the script with this one, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have a wee word with Tony on, on Twitter, and he'll block me. <laughs> and, any any comments on the, the strip here? Uh, it's not one of my favourites, I'd mm-hmm. have to say. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, with the, the Jocko and the the Greaves' page and the mad Jock McKickham certainly gone for it in this one. They're sort of negating all the good work they've done on the front pages and all the Scottish content. They're negating it with these, I think. Okay, moving on to You Are The Ref. Let's have a wee look at these. There's a couple of, actually, looking at them nowadays, it's quite interesting. So the first one is, a throw-in is about to be taken when you see a defender kicking an opponent when they are in the penalty area. Do you A, award a penalty kick, B, send off the defender and drop the ball, or C, send them off and continue with a throw-in? Answer, Tom? Uh, a throw-in is about to, the ball's not in play, so it would be C, send them off and continue with a throw-in. Is the correct answer. So the next one is from a corner kick, the ball strikes you and is deflected over the goal line. So that's the referee. Do you A, have the corner retaken, B, award a goal kick, or C, drop the ball at the place where it struck you? I'm going to say it's have the corner retake. Mm, it is. No, sorry, it's not. It's um, It was a ward uh, goal kick. Yeah. So so the ball's in play. But my, my thoughts on this is because the rules have now changed when the ball hits the referee. 
Yes, uh, so if it hits the referee, he's part of the, at that time anyway. He's part of mm-hmm. the game. Uh, he's part of the playing. Yeah. So, was, yeah. So, so, so back then it would have been a goal kick that was awarded. But I'm wondering now because now if if the ball hits the referee, they immediately stop play, don't they? And well, I think I think they realise now if it, it changes possession. So if the ball hits the ref and goes to the opposition, I, th- I thought that's just if it hits the ref now. I, th- I thought they just. I don't think so. I, th- I, th- I thought it was only if if possession changed due to hitting the referee. Okay. I guess in, in in that scenario, the possession does change because it goes for a for a th- for a bye kick, doesn't it? It'd be interesting to maybe have a wee chat with Steve Craven or some other referee about that. It'd be interesting to get their thoughts on that one. Okay, we shall go on to page 35, and this is a full-page colour photo of David Speedy of Coventry City, and he's in action in a Hummel kit, which is light blue shorts and socks. The shorts are very shiny and have a black Hummel chevrons down the sides. The socks are plain light blue with the text Hummel, and what looks like a B in black in the middle of the socks. The top has a main body area that's divided in two. They both have the same design, which is a number of thin vertical stripes. On one side of the shirt, those stripes are a light grey or blue and white colour in the stripes, while on the other side, they are a light grey blue and a darker shade of blue in the same colour. Sometimes you really got to see it. If, if you'd never seen this and try to describe it, you probably couldn't yeah. have done a worse job than what I've just done. Um, you want to give it a go, Tom? Uh, no, not at all. It's a two-tone kit uh, slashed down the middle there uh, with lots of thin stripes on it. Okay, yeah. okay. So, yeah, I mean, a classic kit of the era. I think we've spoken about mm. it before. Obviously, probably the Denmark national yeah. team are probably the most famous for wearing that sort of style of kit. But I asked in Villa at the same time, I think there's a picture of um, Alan McAnally in the forthcoming pages mm-hmm. who's got a similar kit. Uh, Villa wore that kind of kit as well. Do you think anybody else who wore that style? I think, of I think Southampton may have worn that at some point. I think Southampton, this probably the same era, had that as well. I liked it. It was mm-hmm. a nice... Yeah, the, the, I, I completely yeah, I mean, forgot about the Denmark one, which you mentioned. It's, so that's probably the best way to describe it, is the Denmark one in blue, isn't it? So... Okay, moving on to pages 36 and 37, and this is Right Time for Change, so this is about, basically it's a Dundee heavy couple of pages here, and the first part of it is about Keith Wright, and it says, it's all turned sour at Dens Park. Keith is pictured in action for Dundee, either controlling a ball or kicking it in a style that suggests a get rid shout. The article starts off with new boss, Dundee boss, Gordon Wallace, worrying that he faced the prospect of losing two star strikers when he was hardly in the door. And these were Keith Wright and Tommy Coyne, who scored 50 goals between them last season. After a disappointing season this year, both have spoken of their discontent at the club, which continues to live in the shadows of cities of the city rivals United. Wright says, a change of club would do us both good. They have both managed just 14 goals between them this season. And he says, if I'm going to get a move, then I have to buckle down and get among the goals. Aberdeen and Hibs have both shown an interest, as well as West Ham. Now, Wright believes that Dundee's problems started when Jockey Scott left at the start of the season. 
Now, as a spoiler, he stayed with Dundee until 1991 and then moved to Hibs, and he, where he won the Scottish League Cup with Hibs in his first season, scoring one of the goals in the final. So, just Keith Wright, he started at Wraith Rovers, moved to Dundee in 86, and was there, as we say, to 91. He spent six years at Hibs, uh, moved back to Wraith Rovers, it was 97. He had a spell at Morton between 98 and 2000. And then a short spell at Stenhouse Muir and finished uh, a season at a season or two at Cowdenbeath playing 63 league games. 637 league appearances in total and 222 goals, which is a, a 1 in 3, which, well, less than 1 in 3, um, which is really good. One Scotland cap as well. Thoughts on Keith Wright? Probably never got as many Scotland caps as he as he possibly could have done. Ah, he was a good he was a good goal mm. scorer, I think. Goal scorers, what we're crying out for at the moment. We just do say this quite a lot, um, not just us, but people in general. You know, if if they were playing today, there would be a, a shoe in for it. But I think, as you say, it was unlucky not to get more than one Scottish cap at the time. So if if he was about at his peak. At the moment, he would be he'd be the first in the team sheet, I think, um, in the Scotland squad. Uh, so across the page, it's coin will cash in. So they're always doing these little puns with with Tommy Coin. Tommy Coin left Dundee earlier this month to join Celtic. Uh, clubs from all over were put off when Dundee slapped a seven hundred and fifty thousand pound price tag on his head. However, with him failing to reproduce anywhere near the thirty-seven goals he scored last season. Celtic got him for 500000 And Coyne says, the transfer came out of the blue and I couldn't have asked for a better move because I've always been Celtic daft. So we'll take a wee look at Tommy Coyne as well here. So he started at Clyde Bank between 81 and 83. 80 league appearances, 38 goals. Moved on to Dundee United between 83 and 86 and then from Dundee United went straight to Dundee where he spent another three years there as well. And moved to Celtic, 89 to 93, 105 league games and 43 goals there. He moved to Tranmere and then, I don't was he was he on loan at Tranmere or did he actually, I'm not sure if he moved there permanently. He obviously never spent too much time there and came back up to Motherwell where he spent 93 to 98, so it was like five years there, 132 league games. Uh, moved back to Dundee. Uh, went on loan to Falkirk, did another spell at Clyde Bank between 2000 and 2001 and finished up with a single league game for Albion Rovers in 2001. Yeah, I know he was uh, He was a permanent signing at Tranmere. Started nine league games, three sub-appearances, one mm. goal, aye, two sub-appearances in uh, other competitions. But I think it was, it was uh, Tranmere, I think that was the time his wife right. died. So I don't know if that had anything to do with him uh, not playing. Uh, not playing much and coming back up, come back mm. up the road, uh, and I, I've got here that he played with Shettleston uh, right, right at the okay. end of his career right. as well. Yeah, so twenty-two Republic of Ireland caps. Uh, he managed at Clyde Bank with player manager. Yep. Yeah, yep. Um, Bells Hill Athletic as well. We've got him managing there after Clyde Bank as well. Great, great goal scorer was Tommy. Um, one of my abiding memories of him was him shouting at me um, during a warm-up. It was him and it may have been Bobby Williamson were, were hitting mm-hmm. the ball into the net 
and I jumped, you know, this was before a game, they were hitting shots, and I jumped in, and I went and saved one of them, and they basically told me to F off, that stuck with me, I mean, it was, it was like, he was, was wanting me to fuck off, but I, I took it and said, yeah, Tommy Coy just told me to fuck off, that's brilliant, so that, that's um, one of my abiding memories, but um, yeah, great, great goal scorer, great player, what about your own thoughts on him? Yeah, I was one of my first uh, heroes to Tommy Coyne because when I started going to see Clybank, it was Tommy Coyne and Bobby Williamson up front. So uh, he was one of my first uh, idols, uh, Tommy yeah. Coyne. Had a decent career, I think. Just a, a shame he never got a. He never um, either chose to play for Scotland or get selected to play for Scotland, but you know, he had a good career. And uh, there was an interview with him in the Claybank programme a few years ago. He was back down at Yoker. You see, watch his son mm. play. His son plays for, I think his son still plays for Linlithgow. Right. Uh, he's a, f- a forward as well. But I mean, we're talking about Keith Wright as well there, and, and it was backed up by the season before between them, 50 goals. I mean, that that's some strike force that, that Dundee had then. Okay, so on, on the last little art- article on this page is of Gordon Wallace, and he says, I'm jealous of United. So it starts off, Dundee haven't won a major trophy since 1973, when new boss Gordon Wallace scored the only goal in a League Cup final victory over Celtic. Wallace spent six years as right-hand man to Dundee United manager Jim McLean. He says, I know the set-up at United. I know how it was achieved, and now that I've changed clubs, I'm very envious. This is a big club, and I appreciate everything that is involved, but we must be patient. So just as a wee spoiler on what would happen with Dundee, they would finish third bottom in the Premier Division this season, but they would be relegated the following season. Gordon Wallace, I think we've spoke about him before. He is one of these these men who have um, he's played for both Dundee and Dundee United and managed both as well. Um, we did try and come up with a few, which we did previously. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but it's, it can't be a, a big a big um, club to be in. You know, to to play for two large teams in the same city and manage them as well. Okay, on to pages 38 and 39. And this is a big box game. Aston Villa versus Man United. And the, the there's two little stories here again. The first one is Cannon and Tall. And it says, They're a winger's dream, says Nigel Callaghan of Aston Villa. And Shoot says that TV viewers are in for a treat when they witness the most remarkable strike force in the game in the upcoming live league game between Aston Villa and Man United. But they're not referring to the United duo of Mark Hughes and Brian McClare. Rather, they're referring to Alan McAnally and Ian Omondroyd, who they're calling footballing freaks. Omondroyd is 6 foot 5 inches, while McAnally is no slouch at 6 foot 1. Villa winger Nigel Callan says, They are a winger's dream. If I can't find them with my crosses, then I won't be able to find anyone. There is a photo of Nigel and Ian, both suited standing beside each other, and Ian is towering over Nigel. He's actually resting his elbow on Nigel's shoulder. I suspect they're overplaying it slightly, though, in, in this photo for a bit of comedic effect. Um, yeah, I mean, he is, he, he was enormous, uh, but I think probably Nigel may be crouching a little bit there just to make the point. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah, Callaghan can hardly fail to find the head of Beanpole Striker. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the the next on the next page it's my pal Rambo by Brian McClare of Man United. 
So the cup tie brings together two ex-Celtic pals in Alan McAnally and Brian McClare. McClare says, Alan and I have been good pals for years and we always got on well together at Celtic, both on the field and socially. We've had a few games of golf together and I have kept an eye on his performances since he moved to England. While McClare has been banging them in this season, McAnally has started to dry up after scoring a series of spectacular goals. But McClare advises him, be patient old mate and they'll come again, but wait until after Sunday's game. There's a wee spoiler on that, the game between the two teams ended in a 0-0 draw, but Villa had the best of the chances. Uh, there was two terrific saves from Jim Layton and an effort off the crossbar which kept them from taking all the points. And while watching the game, I saw Gordon Strachan and Ian Ormondroyd in the same penalty area. Um, certainly highlighted the difference, I think. So we go on to the, the last page here. And this is a team photo of, of Airdrie. And it's a full team blank, page. Blank. What's that, sorry? It's blank, the last page. Can you not see it? Oh, right, right, right. Okay, okay I do, I do. Too slow there, too slow. We're on to the, the last page and it's a team photo of Airdrie who seem to be popping up a bit a bit regularly at the moment. But yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can do about that. Uh, so it's a full team photo of Airdrie in their white shirt and shorts with red socks. The shirt has the famous red V and quite a high cut V collar on it as well. And Gordon McQueen is the manager and sat front and centre. Jim Duffy is assistant and is sat on the far left on the front row. And we have John Martin and Craig Nelson are the two keepers in the back row. And sandwiched between them is Erdry's very own Ian Ormondroyd, Stephen Shirky, just because he's really tall. Dave McKinnon is sat next to Gordon McQueen. Uh, McKinnon started as a youngster at Arsenal, although he never played any competitive first-team games. I think he did have some games and testimonials and things like that as well. Uh, he returned north and had spells with Dundee, Partick Thistle and Rangers before moving to Airdrie. Anything you want to say on the... Uh, no, well, just a couple of um, ex-Clay Bank players in there. Uh, Sammy Cohen and uh, Vinnie mm. Moore, the middle row. Vinnie Moore sporting a wee tash. Just looking at a few of the, few of the hairstyles. There's a wee bit of hair dye getting yeah. passed around there, I think. There's what, about four or five players mm. with um, some highlights. Yeah, it was definitely of the moment. I mean, we had, there was a one with uh, Andy Gorham as well. It was a bit heavy on the highlights yeah. as well, so definitely going about. Okay, so that's is at the end of the the magazine. So just before we go, we'll, we'll give our charity partner a wee shout, which is the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share, and this is a charitable organisation which provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. School uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, a Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. They provide essential support to the local community in supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This includes drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers but we will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do and to also ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are actually aware of that these vital services do exist. You can follow them on the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share Group on Facebook 
or westernbartonshire community foodshare.co.uk. Also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts, shoot TB underscore podcast and at Scottish Foot Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. And if you go to our website or through the, the Twitter accounts of that, please do sign up for a newsletter as well, which is coming out before each podcast and it's packed with very interesting, exciting and enjoyable information so sign up to the the newsletter and lastly i'd like to say a special thanks to pete wiley of the mighty wah for use of story of the blues and the music of the show you can catch up with pete on petewiley.co.uk and check out details of any upcoming gigs that he's doing and new music that he's working on and we'd like to thank a producer diane jardin for a great work and support on the podcast Check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clybank. And so with that, I'd like to thank Tom for being Tom. Thank you, Andy. I'd like to thank the listeners out there for listening to the podcast and putting up with us. Please share it amongst your friends. Give us some feedback on the the Twitter accounts uh, and basically just keep enjoying it. Until the next time, let's shoot the breeze.